Jeff Lucas is here. <laughs> All right. Good job, guys. That's me, a young adult. I like that. Morning, everybody. How about another round of applause for Justin and Mackenzie, huh? Well, it's great to see you this weekend. We are starting a brand new series, The Art of Neighboring. The Art of Neighboring. And uh, we have some uh, refrigerator magnets that are coming out right now. They are for you to take home. Uh, one per household, please. Uh, and I'll be explaining a bit more about those um, as we go. But these are for you to, to take home and um, make use of. Also, uh, I just need to say... Uh, that Pastor Dick Foth has a brand new book out called A Trip Around the Sun with Mark Batterson. Um, I just finished reading it this week and it is excellent. It is messing with me in a very beautiful way. And I want to encourage you to pick up a copy. And Pastor Dick will be outside the bookstore lurking, ready to sign your book um, if you would like him to do that. Also, this new series that we have, The Art of Neighboring, I want to encourage you to pick up a copy of that um, as well. Normally, at this point, I say hi to the folks in Windsor because we're normally live-linking with them, but because of this Art of Neighboring series, they are, they're having a live preacher there in Windsor today. That's, not why, that's why I'm not greeting them. How many hope we have a live preacher here today? All right, that's good. Well, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 10 as we think about the art of neighboring, taking the great commandment literally. Taking the great commandment literally. And Luke 10 says this, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the man, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do Likewise, I'd like us to look at an invitation that some of us will remember from our childhood and for others this will just be a revelation about how uh, children's TV used to be done. Take a look and make sure, check out 
And notice what uh, this gentleman does with his shoe. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, Would you be mine? Would you be mine? Would you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? Welcome to this neighborhood, neighbor. Won't you please be my neighbor? I've been practicing that all day yesterday, let me tell you. It's, uh, it's quite difficult to deliver a line while concentrating on catching your shoe or your boot. Let me tell you something that perhaps is quite a lot more difficult, and that is in our culture today, actually being a neighbor. Will you please be my neighbor? But it isn't that easy. We find ourselves, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, living in between a biblical command and a contemporary challenge. You see, the Bible is really very clear. As, as Jesus tells this story about the Samaritan, we, we call it the Good Samaritan parable, he's letting us know that he wants us to practically care and love love our neighbors. The command to love your neighbor is repeated no less than eight times in the Gospels. And as the disciples spent three years with Jesus, so often did he live this out and teach this principle that this commandment became known as the great commandment. It was seen as the primary pinnacle, if you will, of his teaching. And I was thinking about this uh, this week On the cross, even on the cross, Jesus loved his neighbor, turning to that thief and and promising him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Even in the midst of the greatest pain and agony, suffering an excruciatingly painful execution, if I can put it like this, Jesus loved his neighbor. And so we understand the challenge. The the difficulty is in our contemporary culture, uh, that can be quite difficult. For example, half of all Americans admit that they don't actually know the names of their neighbors. And maybe you're immediately starting to feel a bit uncomfortable here. And I can see your brain going, what's that guy with the demonized dog, you know, and you're, you're, you're trying to think that one through. And it, it's not so good in Britain either. Uh, a, a poll of a survey of 2,000 British people revealed that one-third of British people could not identify their neighbor in a police lineup. How many of you would agree with me that you don't want to have to identify your neighbor 
in a police lineup. But we're living in an anonymous culture, one that is somewhat driven by hesitation and fear. In 2011, in Australia, there were the terrible Queensland floods. And sociologists studying what happened then talked about how neighbours were reluctant to even help each other in a place, a situation of emergency. We know that we are losing the capacity to be good neighbours and famous best-selling books have been written about that. Bowling Alone was a, a classic book, The Collapse and Revival of American Community by Robert Putnam, Uh, Putnam uh, speaks in the book about how we're less likely to vote, we're less likely to play bridge, we're less likely to invite friends over for dinner, and as the title suggests, we're less likely to join a bowling team. Uh, We're a culture where we're bowling alone. A more recent book, The Vanishing Neighbor, The Vanishing Neighbor, The Transformation of American Community, and in that book, uh, Mark Duckelman says very starkly, the people next door have become strangers. In 1970, people were asked then if they ever socialized with a neighbor. Back in 1970, 20% of those asked said that they never, ever did. Zero interaction socially. In the year 2000, the survey was taken again, and 30% said that they never did. A very, very significant rise. And the Those who gathered the results said simply this, we're getting lonelier and lonelier. Now, now why is that? Why are we becoming more lonely? Why are we becoming more lonely? There are a few uh, pointers, I think, that can help us to understand. First of all, community structure. Community structure is one reason why we are becoming more lonely. Lonely, the way that our communities have been established. We've not just moved from the farm to the factory to technology, but our very communities have, in their roots, are really not necessarily helping us to be neighbours. Um, one uh, sociologist said that some of it goes back to uh, the American War of Independence. Now, I have to be very, very careful. With raising this, I'm re- let me just make it really clear. Uh, I'm really glad that you got rid of us. I'm glad you won that war. You would have never put a man on the moon if you'd have hung out with us. We'd, we'd be saying, oh, don't be so silly, have another cup of tea. You know, it, would have, it really wouldn't have worked. But one sociologist said that not only was there a reaction back then to the governmental system and obviously the taxation burden that those mean, nasty Brits put on you. I'm so sorry. But there was also another reaction, and that was towards the way that communities were established. The village that I come from, which has about 500 people, um, it's clustered together. There was a lord of the manor. Uh, When I go back to that village, there's a 30-page monthly newsletter with all of the village activities, and the village really lives together. And there was a reaction to the lord of the manor hierarchy. One sociologist said, we moved in America from Downton Abbey. How many have ever seen Downton Abbey? Okay, 11 of you. We've moved. We've moved from Downton Abbey to Little House on the Prairie. There was something of a reaction 
there. And then there's technology. We are constantly busy and uh, distracted by technology. 80% of all of us right now are on the internet. Not right now on the internet, but I hope. But uh, we have access to the internet. 82% of us, excuse me, 86% of us have a cell phone. You don't have to join an organization and go to a meeting anymore. You can just click like and pay up with PayPal. You don't have to go anywhere. And by the way, if I don't like you, I can just unfriend you. It's a painless experience. And what that means is, as one technology expert has said, we've ended up with selective networking, where we simply primarily interface with those that agree with us and like us. T.S. Eliot said, television is a technology that enables millions of people to laugh at a joke at the same time and yet remain lonesome. So we've got this technology age. And then we're a very diverse culture as well, diversity. Back in 1963, can anyone guess, and it's a rhetorical question, so don't yell out really, but just think about it. Can anyone guess what the most popular TV show was in America? The most popular television show in America in 1963 was a very sophisticated show. It was The Beverly Hillbillies. (laughs) 1963, The Beverly Hillbillies, And a third of all Americans watched that show. A a third. The most popular TV show in the year 2010 was American Idol. American Idol, the most popular show, but less than 10% of the population watching it because of the proliferation of so many channels, so much that's available. So now do you see what's happening? Our, our conversation is, is somewhat limited because we don't share uh, the same interests. There's a lot of diversity. And then neighborly expectations have changed as well. Neighborly expectations. In the 1950s, the definition of a good neighbor was that lady who showed up with a pie when you moved in. In 2015, sociologists tell us that the definition of a good neighbor is someone who doesn't leave junk on the yard. I'm going to say something that's going to bring pain to some of you because it's just so irritating. Someone who picks up their dog's poop. Someone who lets you live a quiet, undisturbed life. So in the 50s, it was about engagement. And in 2015, it's about leave me alone and pick up the... So how can we be good neighbors? And right now, as we begin this series, we are joining with over 20 other churches across Fort Collins who are uh, joining us in this initiative, The Art of Neighboring. Here's a map that shows you what's happening this Sunday morning right across this city. It's really exciting to be part of it. Well, let's dive in. And some of you are looking at your bulletins right now and you're, you're thinking, you're looking at your watch and you're thinking, we've got a long way to go, buddy. Fear not, little flock. First thing is this. First thing is this. A simple call. It's a simple call, one that can change the world. It's a simple call, one that can change the world. Jesus taught, love God and love your neighbor. 
In Matthew 28 and verse 19, it's called the Great Commission. Remember, Jesus said, go into all the world, and he said, teach them everything that I have commanded you. What was the greatest commandment that he taught? Love God, love your neighbor. So do you see the Great Commission and the Great Commandment are meshed together? That's how the early church changed the world. They didn't have satellite TV. They didn't have buildings, money, or printing presses. So how on earth did this group of people who were held in suspicion because everyone thought they were a crazy new cult, how did they outlive the Roman Empire and fill the world with their truth about Jesus? I'll tell you how they did it. They loved their neighbors. They cared. They reached out. They sacrificially gave. They washed sweaty feet. When terrible plagues hit cities and everybody was tempted to flee, often the Christians stayed behind, risking infection themselves, not only caring for their own, but caring for the families of pagan priests who had fled the city. How did the early church change their world? The truth is that they simply loved their neighbor. And not only is this about changing our world, it's actually about a better quality of life. Did you know, and this is not one of those kind of crazy pop things that people sometimes come out with and it's not substantiated. Uh, Susan Pinker's book, The Village Effect, unpacks this. Studies have shown that if you engage with people around you regularly, with friends and family and neighbors, you are likely to survive longer when faced with a major disease and the stats are in to suggest that you perhaps will live 15 years longer. And there are surveys that have been done in Alameda County. They studied 7,000 residents over 30 years and they found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die earlier than those with healthy support networks. John Ortberg said... People who have bad health habits but strong social ties live significantly longer than people who have great health habits but are isolated. I am so excited about this. I'm going to dump the treadmill and come by for pie, baby. (laughs) But this is about changing our world and it's about quality of life. Secondly, though, there's a cultural challenge. There's a cultural challenge, get out more and break out of the bubble of fear. There's a cultural challenge, get out more and break out of the bubble of fear. Look at this story. This lawyer stands up to test Jesus, we read. The word test there means to tempt him. This is a confrontation. And, and Jesus talks about loving your neighbor. And this guy says, who is my neighbor? Do you know when he said that, he is pressing a political hot button. Because the big discussion of the day was, who's my neighbor? And the Jews believed that other Jews were neighbors, but not the Gentiles and not the Samaritans. The Pharisees weren't sure about that. And the Essenes, a monastic group who lived on the side of the Dead Sea, they were convinced that their neighbors were just other Essenes. So this was a very politically loaded question. 
And so Jesus tells this story about this 17-mile strip of dangerous road between, between Jericho and Jerusalem where people would frequently be robbed. And there's a Samaritan in the story. And it's a really shocking story. Because the Jews and the Samaritans had hated each other for hundreds of years. Both sides said that they were the true inheritors of the promises given to Abraham and Moses. The Samaritans had their own temple. They had their own rival texts. And they, they uh, actually, some of them loved to insult the Jews. When Jesus was about 12 years of age, some Samaritans broke into the Jewish temple in Jerusalem and scattered human bones around in the sanctuary there. And there was a sense of outrage. The Jews hated the Samaritans. In John's Gospel, John chapter 4, verse 9, John says, Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. On another occasion in Luke's Gospel, Jesus visits a Samaritan village and they, they won't they won't give him hospitality. And James and John say, shall we call down fire from heaven on them? Now this wasn't just because the Samaritans weren't giving Jesus iced tea. This is because there was this long-standing prejudice. They were just looking for an excuse. Let's nuke the Samaritans. They hated them. So this was a loaded story. A loaded story of these temple officials who see who see this man, this fellow Jew, on the roadside near to death, and two of them pass by. Why would they pass by? Well, if that guy died and they touched him, they'd have to spend a week in ritual cleansing. It would mess up their life by a week, even if their shadow fell upon him. Then Jesus says, a Samaritan comes by. And this is where it gets really shocking. Because, you see, it would have been fairly challenging if Jesus had told the story like this. There's a Samaritan almost dying and a Jew comes and helps him. That would have been loaded enough. But Jesus, who liked to tell stories that were like stun grenades, flips it all around and he talks about a Samaritan. What? Helping a Jew. Let me explain what that felt like. Imagine watching a video, I hope you don't, of an ISIS terrorist decapitating someone dressed in orange and then hearing me stand up and tell you a story about an ISIS terrorist who reached out to help a Christian who was near to death. You'd say, wow, that's, a, that's really stretching it. I don't think that's going to happen. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, whatever the cultural challenges, the cultural challenges that were back then, the cultural challenges that we face, the invitation, the call is to be a neighbor. Thirdly, what does that look like? Well, it's a developing, humble relationship. It's a developing, humble relationship. It often begins with a name. The, see, the Samaritan took pity on this man. He went to him. He gave to him. He paid for lodgings. Two denarii. What's the exchange rate currently? Well, back then, that meant that he could buy 24 nights of hospitality. Wow. Not only that, but he wrote a blank check and said, whatever the costs are, I'll cover it. He made a real effort. 
That's one of the reasons in wanting to be intentional, and I want us to bring my little chart out here now, if you would. We want to be very proactive and intentional about taking the effort to reach out. Look at the inside, will you please? Look at the inside of your bulletin right now. Just reach for that bulletin. Um, Do it if you will. Even if you're not doing it, pretend that you're doing it. That will be good. And you will see that chart in there. And and we want to kind of get a little bit intentional um, about this. Now, um, let's imagine that this is your neighborhood. Here here you are. How many know that your neighborhood doesn't look like that? And by the way, how many know that you're not the center of the universe anyway? But but here's you. And and here are the houses that... or the apartments or whatever that are around about you. What we want you to do with those magnets, and you can play with this a little bit now if, you, if you'd like, uh, could be fun. We want you to answer three questions. First of all, do you know the names? Do you know the names of the people in the homes um, around you? So like, in, you know, for me, and by the way, I made this up. These are not my real neighbors, but over here is Fred and Wilma. Okay, we'll move on. And, uh, and uh, Fred and Wilma, who've got a pet dinosaur, they live uh, in Texas. Because you see, the second question, the first question is, do you know their name? And the second question is, do you know something about them that you couldn't know by just seeing them? Like, don't write down, he's got a red car. Because you can see that, can't you, when you're looking through your binoculars, checking out whether he's picking up after the dog. So... You know that, okay? And so he's uh, Fred and Wilma, and the second piece of information, B, he's from, he's from Texas. You found out that in a casual conversation. And uh, the third thing is something that you would know with a bit more of a deeper conversation. You discovered that Fred wants to learn to play the bagpipes, okay? Which I think is an extremely bad idea. For Anyone ever heard the bagpipes? It's, it's, it's like a track, uh, attaching compressed air to a cow. It's just a bad idea. I just stirred your imagination. But, so here's Fred and Wilma. Here's Cynthia over here. Uh, Cynthia's just gone through a really painful divorce. She's got two children in Oklahoma. She's really quite worried about her health. Here's Bill and Tony living over here. They share a home together. Here's Jeremy. He's a student. He's at, he's at CSU. What we want to do is to think about our neighbors and then use that refrigerator magnet uh, to, uh, as I'm going to say in a moment, pray for them. By the way, if you're feeling a bit encouraged, let me tell you that um, only 10% of all people ask this stuff. Only 10% of them can fill out the first names of all eight people around them. Some of you are feeling really relieved right now. Uh, Only 3% can fill out this second line, which is kind of a bit of basic information. Only 3% can fill in all eight, and less than 1% can fill out all eight. Deeper information for every home. Now, can I just say, what we don't want you to do is get weird, okay? If you don't normally hug your neighbor, don't start. There's nothing worse than you showing up. And, so, you know, you haven't talked to the guy since he borrowed your lawnmower and broke it. And then suddenly you go home from Timberland. God bless you. 
great to see you. An extended two-minute hug is not going to be a blessing. Don't get weird. Don't put tracts through their door. And don't get patronizing. You're not the Bible answer person. When Jesus sent his disciples out, he sent them out saying that there were some things that they shouldn't take. Don't take a purse or bag or, or sandals. They weren't just sent out full. They were also sent out with some emptiness. Don't be the answer person in your community. I'm, I'm here to fix everybody. You must be thanking God that I moved into number 32. Actually, we go in humility to learn from each other, to share sometimes our needs, but we do need to make a start. Number four, this is a prayerful strategy. We must become more intentional. It's a prayerful strategy. Can I just offer you a confession? I'm not sure I should say this, but I'm going to just say it. So this is awkward for me. So lean forward slightly. Just lean forward. Come on, lean forward. Some of you are going, this is America. I will adjust my posture. When I first saw this, I was worried. Because I thought, if I went into my neighbor's home for a cup of coffee, and there's a refrigerator magnet with my name on it, I'm going to call Jack Bauer. I thought, is this a bit weird? Would I, how would I feel like, this is a dastardly plot to take over Fort Collins? No, when my neighbor asked why his or her name is on my refrigerator, my answer is simply this. Actually, it's nothing weird. It's just that I want to take more seriously the command of Jesus to love my neighbors. I want to pray for our neighborhood. I want to pray for you. And I want to be able to serve you in any way that I can. And this just helps in my busy life to remind me of who you are and how I can pray for you. Nothing weird, nanu, nanu but just intentionality, being proactive. Well, the last thing is that this is a command from Jesus, not an option. It's a command from Jesus, not an option. Go and do likewise. This is how we're supposed to live. Has anyone ever noticed that the word Good Samaritan, or the phrase Good Samaritan, is not in the text? But we always call it the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's because it's in the Bible heading. It's the popular name for it. I think we've named it wrongly. Because the idea of calling him good makes it sound like he's exceptional. Above the rest. Abnormal. Actually, this is the way we're called to live. Not just loving the world metaphorically. I just love everybody. How can you love everybody? Sometimes I go places and people will come up and they say, I love you. I'm thinking, really? You don't even know my name. You don't know anything about me. This is about loving people practically, and it's not an option. This is how we're called to live. Well, finally, as we wrap this up, there's some ancient wisdom on neighboring uh, from Proverbs that I think could help us. Uh, first of all, if you want to be a good neighbor, uh, turn the TV down. Okay, look at this. I love these words from Proverbs 27. If anyone, look at this, if anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Isn't that cool? Your neighbor does not want to hear your worship music at 5 a.m. 
This morning my wife was up early, as was I, because we have an owl. An owl. O-W-L. I can't pronounce that for some reason. And he has taken up residence at our house, and every morning at 5 a.m. he says the same stuff over and over again. To wit, to woo. To wit, to woo. This was my National Geographic owl impersonation. It's an endangered species, but I want to shoot the thing. (laughs) Don't ride in, I won't. Mainly because I don't have a gun. Even if I did, I wouldn't. I'm feeling nervous now. (laughs) Don't be an owl of a neighbor. Don't be irritating. Turn the TV down. Do what you can do without delay. If there's something good you can do for your neighbor, do it. Proverbs 3. Do not withhold good from those from whom it's due when it's in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. Do what you can. Thirdly, don't be the neighborhood gossip. (laughs) Proverbs 11. Whoever derides their neighbor has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. Now, I'm looking at you. You're the 830 crowd. And I know that no one here would ever gossip. Shocking thought. We don't gossip, do we? We, we share. <laughs> but you know, there is a danger. If your neighbor confides in you when you say to them, is there anything I can pray with you about? You don't need to go from number 34 to number 43 and share that information. We need to offer people a sense of appropriate security. And then I love this, finally, don't outstay your welcome or overdo things. Don't outstay your welcome or overdo things. Proverbs 25, seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, too much of you and they will hate you. Isn't that great? Have you ever had friends over and it's been a nice evening but the clock is going around? How many know what I'm talking about here? And you're thinking... What you want to say is, okay, we're done. Go home. How many know what I'm talking about? But you, you do all kinds of stuff. You, you kind of go, oh, well, it's been great, hasn't it? Well, when all is said and done at the end of the day, it's just been a good evening, isn't it? My, 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 I have to get up at four o'clock in the morning. It's been good to see you. Don't be a neighbor that people have to feel like they've got to get rid of. Don't set foot too much in your neighbor's house or they're going to hate you. As we move into a moment of prayer, let me share a picture with you about neighborliness that I learned in Calcutta. I went to Mother Teresa's home for the sick and dying. It's a very challenging ugly, beautiful place. People lined up on cots, seriously ill. Very, very moving to see the marvelous work that's been done there. And as I walked in, there's a lady sitting on her cot, very, very seriously ill, I'm sure. And she saw me, and uh, she obviously thought that I'd come to check in. Don't go there. I know what you're thinking. Man, you were looking pretty rough that day. But the really powerful point was this. She looked up at me and there was a spare cot next to hers. She smiled at me and patted the cot. 
there's room here for you. I'll never forget her. What are we doing as neighbors? We're saying in my busy life, there's room. Mr. Rogers said, won't you be my neighbor? Jesus said, won't you love God and love your neighbor? The Lord help us. He will as we do it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your command, the challenge. We thank you for this opportunity, this initiative, as we take these magnets home and we think about our neighbors and perhaps start to pray. We ask you to help us. We ask you to help us to make a difference in our world in such a profoundly simple way. Inspire us, encourage us, help us to push through difficulties. We are not out to get our neighbors, we are out to love them. As our heads are bowed, before we move on, when we got together as pastors to talk about this series, we became aware that sometimes there are neighbors that we don't like. (laughs) And there are neighbors who don't like us. There's been conflict, there's been difficulty. And there's a special challenge when it's like that. I want to just pray a very simple prayer. I'm not going to draw this out. But if you find yourself in a place of being in a neighborhood and you say, you know, I really struggle with that guy. I've had real difficulty with that family over there. But I'd like that to change. I'd love to just include you in a prayer. And I'd like to invite you to just simply respond. You can do this in our tradition service as well. Just by slipping up your hand for a moment to say, you know what, there's someone I'd... It's not easy for me to want to love them, but I'd like to do that. Can I ask you just to slip up your hand as a way of indicating that? Do it right now around the place. Thanks for doing that. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be intentional. We pray that you will help us, especially when it is most challenging. We agree together in Jesus' name. Everyone said... Well, we're going to give now and we're going to worship. We often say, we always say, if you're a guest, you don't have to give. Put that connection card in as the ushers come, if you would. If you want to stand during the song and if you're able, uh, feel free to do so. Let's sing. Let's go ahead and give. The sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again whatever may pass and whatever lies before
Don't forget that Pastor Dick Foth will be out there. We'd love to uh, sign your book for you if you want to pick up one of those. Uh, Secondly, don't forget to take those refrigerator magnets home. They are for you and for us to make use of. And thirdly, uh, talking about all this neighborliness stuff, please be neighborly as you navigate the parking lot momentarily. This is a test for all of us. And you are next, you're standing or sitting next to someone right now. So um, you don't have to hug them for 20 minutes or anything, but just be nice before you go. Say hi. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Have a great Sunday, neighbor. God bless you.